It's on page 560 of the Book of Praise. Question 120. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny any of us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from His almighty power all things we need for body and soul. And then our next uh, scripture reading and the focus of our sermon is Matthew 6, verses 6 through 15. Matthew 6, starting in verse 6. But you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So far we read, from the Word of God. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, last time you had a catechism sermon, the topic was the importance of prayer. Why do we pray? Now we will study how we should pray. And the first thing to consider is the address of our prayers. To whom do we direct our prayer? Because the answer to that question will determine the posture and the tone and the first words of our prayer. How you pray depends, of course, on to whom you pray. 
And so when Jesus' disciples asked him, teach us to pray, the Lord gave them a short model, a short template for prayer. And we call that the Lord's Prayer. And I know you know it because you recited with me beautifully a few minutes ago. And so in the next six Lord's Days, each part of that model prayer of Jesus will be addressed by the Catechism. Now most of what we find in that prayer was not new to Jesus' disciples. He did not suddenly come up with a complete new idea of what you should pray about. It is in line with the prayers of the Old Testament community. But if there was one thing fresh and shockingly new in Jesus' prayer, it was the very first word that he taught his disciples to pray, Father. Addressing God directly as our Father. That is profound, it is intimate, it is comforting. It's also something that God's people did not use to do before Jesus came. Now, why is this so important? Well, we, we learn this especially by listening to the further teachings of Jesus on prayer. And that is why I want to delve with you in the context here of Matthew 6, where Jesus introduced the Lord's Prayer and then talks about some of the aspects of praying. The theme for the sermon this afternoon is Jesus teaches us to pray to Father. Jesus teaches us to pray to Father. First, the Father who hears us. Second, the Father who knows us. And third, the Father who loves us. Because we pray to Father, we do not have to pray like the hypocrites, Jesus says in verse 5. I don't know why I forgot to read that to you. Um, verse 5 is also part of Jesus' teaching about prayer. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Do not pray like the hypocrites. They like to put up a show in their meetings, in their services, in, in the public square. They pray to get attention. They pray to be seen and to be heard. And they pray, it seems, first and foremost, to be seen and heard by other people. And so they dress up their prayers in every possible way. They choose a location where they will be noticed. They choose a time of day when there's a crowd around. They dress up in special prayer garb and they look important and pious. Look, there is a man and he's gonna pray. And they have rituals, a little bow here, a little hand gesture there. They have a prayer voice, imposing but smooth, powerful but reverent. Their language becomes flowery, maybe a bit archaic with beautiful turns of phrase. And they send this message to everybody around. Look, I pray. Oh, how I pray. I know how to establish a connection with God. Look how powerfully I channel my praises up to Him. Jesus calls these people hypocrites. A word that we know. 
It's also a word that is borrowed. It's a Greek word. It's borrowed from the realm of theater and play acting. And that is very fitting here because that is what this kind of praying really becomes. If a prayer becomes a ritual and a show for other people to see, then it stops being real prayer. And Jesus pronounces over these people with this typical claim of authority, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They have what they deserve. They got what they came for. They won't get any more. They have the attention of people, but they don't have the blessing of God. If you want to be heard by God, you must realize who He is and who you are, and then what prayer is. God is Lord in heaven. He is outside of this world, apart from all of the whole physical universe. He is beyond the stars and the galaxies. There is no physical process that can establish a connection from where you are to where God is. No matter what ritual you perform, no matter how large the crowd, no matter how high your theological de degree, no matter how smooth your language, no matter how reverent your words, you cannot establish a connection from where you are to where God is. The connection of prayer is a miracle that only God can accomplish. Without this initiative, you, we here together, would be praying to an echoing ceiling, an unyielding sky, an empty void. All of your, your rituals and your language go absolutely nowhere if God does not establish the connection between earth and heaven. But that is what he has done. In the Old Testament, the Lord especially appointed the tabernacle and the temple as places where he would hear his people. Remember that prayer that King Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple. Uh, you can find it in uh, 1 Kings 8. Solomon prayed, May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer of your servants, or that your servants pray toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servants and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Even back at that time, when the Lord made the temple the specific place for prayer, God also listened to prayers elsewhere. And the Jewish theologians in Jesus' time, they would not deny that. They would say, sure, God can hear prayer everywhere. But they would also emphasize that in order to be heard by the transcendent God in heaven, one should say the proper prayers at the proper time, in the proper place, and with the appropriate reverence. And now Jesus comes here with his teaching to his disciples and he says, guys, there's no need for that. Don't get distracted by all those things. Don't risk turning prayer into a show, into a ritual. 
And to drive this truth home, Jesus pushes the point to the extreme. And he says, when you pray, here's what you do. You go into a small room, and you lock the door, and then you pray. Now, there is some discussion among theologians about this word, the, the small room, whether it's like a small bedroom or even a closet of some kind. But you get the point. You can be anywhere without anyone seeing you. And God will hear your prayer. And when you are in that small room on your own, you simply pray, Father. Uh, the text in Matthew has our Father in heaven. Uh, but if you read the, the description of Jesus' teaching and look, it simply has the form Father, at least in some of the older manuscripts of the Bible. Simply pray, Father. That word, such a simple word, such an intimacy. We sometimes like prayers that start with, Oh, Almighty and Heavenly God and Father, or something of those kinds. It's not wrong. But it's not necessary either. Instead of a distant and majestic heavenly figure, the word Father conjures up the image of a humble home and a child approaching his parent with a simple request or concern. Hey, Daddy. Yes, my child. What is it? Yeah, children, aren't you happy that you don't have to go to your dad and say, oh, wonderful and hardworking father and, and so on? You don't have to do that, right? You just say, hey, dad. And you know that's fine because he loves you. In the same way, we can go to the Lord. Jesus says, just say, father. How could Jesus make it so simple, so, so close? Because as the Son of God, He represents the Father. And as the incarnate Son, He brought God Himself to the earth, into our physical existence. Because Jesus Christ became one of us as the Son of God. God the Father is also close to us. And even today, the Spirit of God, who also is God Himself, the Spirit who is the very Spirit of Jesus Christ, He is with us. He is the one carrying our prayers to heaven. God himself established the connection between heaven and earth. And that connection was never as direct as when Jesus came and as when the Holy Spirit, even today, lives with the followers of Jesus and in the church. The connection is there. And you don't have to pray up a storm to make it happen. And so Jesus teaches us to pray in the confidence that God is the Father who sees us and hears us. No special location, time, technique, or phrases are needed. You may pray in your bedroom. You may pray in your car. You may pray in your pajamas. Now, of course, you may also pray more formally, like we do here in church. But even then... It is best for our prayers to be straightforward and unassuming without all the frills so that it doesn't become a show, so that it 
doesn't seem important as a ritual, but so that we keep our focus on the Father who hears us anyway. Now, because we pray to the Father, we don't have to pray like the heathen, says Jesus in verse 7. The heathen or the pagans or the Gentiles, a word that typically referred to all non-Jewish people at the time, people who did not know about the Lord. The theology of pagans compels them to pray with many and big words. And so they babble on. There were many pagan religions in the Hellenistic and Roman world in Jesus' time, and many of them involved incantations and invocations and a whole, whole slew of deities reciting endless names of gods and goddesses and their titles of spirits and of angels or mumbling in a foreign language ancient words like magical formulas, pagan prayers tended to be formulaic and repetitive. And if you had to trick and compel and pressure the divine powers to do what you want them to do, that is when you would do this, repeat, repeat, repeat. And so you can think, for instance, of the old practice of the priests of Baal in Elijah's time, who kept chanting for hours, Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us, on and on and on. Thankfully, we never need to batter our God and Father with language to force His will. Hopefully, we know Him well enough never to try that. So Jesus says in verse 8, Therefore, do not be like them. Your Father knows. He knows what you need. You don't need to inform him of your needs even. He already knows it before you pray. Before you even begin asking. He knows. Some people have used this text as a starting point to question the usefulness of prayer. And the importance of prayer. <laughs> if God already knows, what's the point of asking? But they miss the point. And they miss the comfort in this statement of Jesus. Because Father knows you and your situation and your needs, you do not have to twist his arm. You never need to make him see things your way. You have his attention, and he does understand you. So rather, as a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103, we just sang that earlier. Now, of course, the Jews in Jesus' time, they were familiar with Psalm 103. They knew the Lord is like a father, so He understands that we are little and vulnerable. He understands how our lives work. He understands how dependent we are, and he has compassion on us as if we were his children. And because they understood this, the Jewish people often, most of the time, were not likely to pray in a pagan way. But Jesus takes it a step farther. 
God is not merely like a father. Jesus says, God is your father. And therefore you may and you must always approach him like a child, confident that he not only listens, but he also understands and he knows and he cares about what is going on in your life. And so Jesus teaches his disciples and he teaches us not to pray like the hypocrites with a show, not to pray like the pagans with repeating and repeating and repeating, but to pray as children of the Father. Our Father in heaven, yes, but especially our Father who has come from heaven to us with his love. The simple word father is so rich in meaning. Many of us are familiar with the caring love of our own fathers. But our own fathers are flawed, as we all are. And it may well be that some among you have terrible experiences with fathers who were abusive or simply absent. And if that's the case, that can make it more difficult, right, to see the beauty in this teaching of our Lord. It makes it harder to receive the teaching that God is a father. And then it may be good to emphasize that God is not just father, but God is father in a perfect way, in a way that you never find among earthly parents, in a way that perfects the way fatherhood was always intended The Gospel of Luke reports that after Jesus taught this prayer to his disciples, he explained about the practical loving care of God as our our Father. And Jesus gave some simple but straightforward examples. When a kid asks you for a loaf of bread, like a lunch bun, then he's not going to give you a stone. That would be mean. And if you ever asked your father for a piece of fish and he gave you a snake, nobody does that. All but the worst fathers will understand what their children need and they answer caringly when the children ask. And that is true for for limited and earthly fathers. And so Jesus, he argues from the lesser to the greater, as he often does. He says, look, even you imperfect fathers, you know perfectly well how to give good things to your kids most of the time, don't you? So if you have a perfect heavenly father, how much more can you trust that he will give you what you need and not something fake, not something mean? And then Jesus points out the one great gift that the Father gives from heaven. He will give to those who ask him the Holy Spirit of God himself. may not be the first thing that comes to your mind when you pray, but the Lord knows it's the first thing that you really need, is his own spirit. This teaching of Jesus, that God is our Father, made a deep impression on the Apostle Paul. 
Paul is a good example of someone who had been brought up in this, long, in this tradition of long and solemn and flowery prayers directed at the transcendent Almighty God in heaven. He was trained to pray really well, uh, really eloquently at the seminary. He was a Pharisee, and no doubt he could pray like that Pharisee in the example that Jesus gave. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, that I'm not even like this tax collector. But when Paul became a disciple of Jesus, Paul no longer embraced that particular teaching. Paul embraced the teaching of Jesus. When you pray, say, Father. And for Paul, that became a center of his theological thinking. And we find that, for instance, in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, where Paul explores what does it mean for God to be your Father? What does it mean for us that we can approach Him as children? What a riches we have. Jesus' lesson of God as Father means, and that's one thing Paul works out, it means that we have been adopted as his children. And if we are children, then we are heirs inheriting the heavenly glory together with Jesus Christ. God as Father means that we are no longer slaves to the worldly principle of sin, but we are now free, free children living by the Spirit of God. You have to realize in, in Paul's time, there were many people who were slaves. They were part of a household but they called the head of the household master. We are not slaves who call God our master. We are children, and we are free, and we call him Father. And that's a marvelous truth about Christian believers. Much more could be said about this, this simple fact of sonship. Um, it was uh, the theologian G.I. Packer, I believe, um, he wrote that book, Knowing God. One of his chapters, he, he points out, and I think rightly so, that the doctrine of adoption and sonship is often overlooked and it deserves more attention than we often give it. I think he's right about that, and if we explore this more together, what does it mean that we are children of the Father that may also richly help us in our prayer life? The teaching that God is our Father teaches us to trust Him with a childlike trust, to love Him with the love of a son or daughter. It teaches us to approach His heavenly throne with boldness and simplicity. I always love to see little kids, especially if it's my own kids, um, especially when they're like two, three years old and they run to you, they run to their dad and just climb on their lap, no matter what dad is doing, and they know that that's okay. That may be an important person, but they can just do this. Like Nobody else gets to do that, but the children do. It also teaches us to think of our fellow Christians as the household of faith, as brothers and sisters, closer to us really than our natural family. It teaches us to think of ourselves as those who will receive the greatest inheritance you can ever imagine. It inspires us to grow up to become more and more like Father Himself as our new self is created in His image 
And we even become partakers of the divine nature, writes Peter. The Lord invites us to call God our Father. And then to identify ourselves as the children that He loves. Now, isn't that the perfect start of your prayer? The perfect start of a prayer that is at the same time reverent and intimate. This is a truth that carries not only our prayer, but our entire Christian life. Amen.